Welcome to this, the first in a series of podcasts from AMI, where we talk to thought leaders from the international association sector and meetings industry. My name is James Lancaster, and I'm joined today by Martin Sirk, owner of consultancy Sirk Serendipity, international advisor to the Global Association Hubs Partnership, and former CEO of the International Congress and Convention Association, ICA. Martin, how are you? I'm very well, James, thank you, on a glorious sunny day in Amsterdam. Yeah, the weather's good here too. It's a strange phenomenon that we have this unbelievable spring whilst we're all more or less trapped in our home. Uh, there's always a tendency in times of crisis to catastrophize and say, you know, the world has changed. This is the end of the world as we know it. Uh, where do you stand on that? Do you think when COVID-19 is no longer a threat, the world will have changed for good? Uh, I, I tend to be in the camp that says, yes, it will have changed for good. It's a, an order of magnitude greater than 9-11, the 2008 crisis, and pretty much anything that has occurred in the lifetimes of any of us who are working in the business. Yeah. Um, that's part of the challenge. We're trying to find um, other examples that we can connect it to and say, this is like that. Mm -hmm. But almost everything we've had in the past has been either regional uh, or it's hit a particular sector more hard than others. We've Mm -hmm. never had this this period where virtually the entire world takes a a pause. Uh, And I think that we're also kind of thinking that things will go back to normal after COVID-19. But what we haven't yet really appreciated is what are the secondary impacts going to be? Uh, I think that there's a huge range of uncertain but potentially massive changes that could be coming that that follow on from this. Are you thinking about human behaviour? What? what Well, I think initially, I mean, I I think that there will be, in, in the same way that our parents and grandparents were affected by living through... Uh, certainly, my, my, my wife's grandparents lived through the Great Depression in the States. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents uh, were through the Second World War. And it affects the psyche. Yeah, you know, when sure. you've been through something huge like that, it changes the way you think. So yeah. uh, the way in which people will think about risk, in fact, the way in which people will behave, because it will be subconscious now. Um, but I, I think we can't make it, we can't really draw any assumptions from how people behaved prior to this and extrapolate forward and say it's simply going to be the same again yeah uh, but, but but i think there's e- even more importantly um it's the potential global uh economic and societal shifts that might happen uh beyond the psyche uh, so for example we've already seen there's this crazy situation of the price of oil Mm-hmm. Um, going, going down to you know, negative territory, mm-hmm. but you know, five, ten, fifteen dollars a barrel, um, and we don't know whether the storage will actually fill up halfway through May, just in a few weeks' time, mm-hmm. in, in a few days' time, mm-hmm. and what that will do on the price front as well. Um, mm-hmm. We've never been in that sort of situation. Nobody knows what the price is going to be in twelve months. It could be close to a hundred barrel, hundred dollars mm-hmm. a barrel. Mm. That's a huge thing. We have no idea about what the overall insurance industry is going to look like mm-hmm. in, you know, because in a few months, the insurers are going to see what it's going to cost them, then the reinsurers, and then eventually the people who are actually paying out for this, like Lloyd's of London. Yeah. Nothing of this scale has ever hit that industry 
worldwide at one stage. We don't know what that's going to do. So it's, it's that sort of thing that really has me very nervous, that, that although it's driven by the health crisis, what could follow on could be just as profoundly uh, damaging. Yeah, I think that, that's a that's an interesting point. I mean, it, it often feels to me that we're sort of living in a sense through a, a kind of, economically at least, a, a sort of phony war at the moment because <laughs> governments around the world have, have done their best to sort of freeze their economies, put them on ice almost, and, you know, through various furlough schemes and what have you. To me, the danger, the danger is what happens after those furloughs have been lifted um, how do businesses go back to normal when they have to uh, implement social distancing measures, etc.? So I, I, I think that the real pain in many ways comes when this initial lockdown phase phase is over. Yeah, I, I, I would I would agree with that. I mean, a lot of people are hurting very badly at the moment. I mean, let's not understate that. And there are huge, I mean, thousands of tragedies yeah. unfolding everywhere around the world. Um, but I, I think that the the economic disruption that will follow and the reordering that will happen is going to be really profound. Yeah. Uh, there are some companies which are uh, weathering this storm very, very well, and mm. they stand to become even more powerful. I'm thinking, for example, of the, the, uh, the Facebooks and the Googles of this world. Mm. Uh, and... You know, the amount of competition and the number of companies being destroyed in all kinds of sectors is absolutely unprecedented. Yeah. Uh, so we, we, what we don't know is what shape the whole business world is going to look like. Is there going to be more monopolistic behavior? Is it going to actually usher in a, a period of great turmoil when new industries are going to be created? Um, we really do not have a, a clue. And anybody who says they can predict it, mm. frankly, is, is a charlatan. This yeah, yeah there, there, there are lots of soothsayers at the moment, and I'm very wary of, of what they have to say in general. But you, obviously, you have uh, expertise in the association sector. You've been there and done it for a long time now. Um, as best as you can, uh, what implications do you think all this has for associations um i know that's a big broad question let's narrow it down to to start with at least to um, how associations are going to meet how they're going to convene um do, do, yeah. what, well um, I, I think actually it, it it's important to ask the bigger questions first rather than how will they meet and that is what what is what are the big demand factors that, that will influence how successful associations can be and that's actually one area where I'm, I'm really pretty optimistic. I think that there is going to be a, a huge focus all the way across the world uh, and in national groupings um, about solving societal problems. Mm -hmm. uh, and those can be healthcare related, uh, they can be scientific, they can be environmental. I think that more you know, this, one of the biggest step changes, so many more people are aware of the importance and critical nature of so many of the major issues that face us across a vast range of topics. And associations have this opportunity because of the way they connect people around the world and they connect different disciplines to become, I guess, the solution engines to help solve those problems. Uh, these are not things that can be solved by a national government acting alone. 
they're not things really even that individual companies are going to be solving. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, 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 the nature of associations is going to be a huge advantage for them if they can grasp hold of it. Yeah. Uh, the second thing is that, that there's also going to be a, a great demand for continuing life learn, lo- lifelong learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not going to change. That's, that, you know, people want to make sense of the world. Uh, and again, associations it, it can step into that, into that gap in a way that universities can't. Yeah. Uh, so I think there, there are a number of areas where, and of course, you know, the basic nature of associations of connecting people mm. and connecting people in a meaningful way. Uh, is is really powerful. So at that level, I'm really optimistic that associations or association-like organizations have a very, very important future. The In the shorter term, mm-hmm. whether the current models of associations are going to be able to survive to, to deliver these benefits, that's that's a different question because there are a huge number of associations which are very fragile which do not have deep stores of financial reserves uh, where a significant proportion of their individual members are suddenly going to find themselves out of jobs and where if they're reliant on lots of small companies to be members, we'll find a a sizable proportion of those also no longer existing. Mm. So, So in the short term, there are some really, really tough problems. And when you get into all, the whole meeting side of it, yeah, well, <laughs> that's, a, that's a huge challenge. I mean, for a lot of associations, Congress is the main source of revenue, and that's obviously a problem, isn't it? Um, should they be, if they haven't already, be thinking about diversifying now and um, thinking of maximising their revenue streams and you know, all, all, all the rest of it. It seems to me that fragile business model you, you spoke of, a lot of the times that's, that's an over-reliance on, on Congress revenues. Yeah, I think, I think you're, you're dead right. Uh, this, this week I've actually signed up to participate in a virtual conference organized by Social Media Week, uh, which is it's not a, a not-for-profit, not an association, but it, it acts a bit like an association. Uh, and they've persuaded, I think, something on the order of 8,000 people to spend 450 US dollars. And they were able then to give 2,000 tickets away to um, not-for-profits and small companies that literally can't afford to to participate. Yeah. Uh, and they built this one-month-long virtual event after having closed down two blocks of one-week-long live meetings, which used to take place simultaneously in eight to 12 cities. So there are ways of shifting and there are ways of monetizing. If you have a community that believes enough in the value of the content that you're providing yeah Uh, but i don't think you can simply uh shift across and swap what you were doing uh in a live event onto a virtual platform and assume that people are going to lash out the money and and support you that way and the different things about the the value of what you're offering yeah i don't i think the idea of flipping face-to-face meetings to virtual meetings is not as straightforward as people think is it that the, the content has to be different it has to be more focused um yeah and i think i think the 
you know, there, there are so many, uh, what I think of as very common mistakes. You know, people think, well, our, our meeting took place over a week, therefore we need to, to run this virtual meeting for the same length uh -huh. of time. <laughs> Once you go virtual, everything, everything about time gets warped and, mm -hmm. and twisted. <laughs> you, you don't have to play by the same rule book at all. Yeah. Um, you, you, you know, your pricing models, your approach towards uh, privacy of, of information, everything can be shifted around and, and re redesigned and reimagined. Mm. So, so there are the, but, but you can't, you know, you've got to hire people or, or yourself understand how the psychology of online work, learning works. Yeah. Because it's very different from the, how people behave and how people learn at a live event. Yeah. So do you think digital meeting formats can actually replace the face-to-face -face experience, experience in a meaningful way? Well, or should it be a question of associations thinking, right, well, let's, we, have this, we have these new skills now, we have this technology. Uh, can we enhance our face-to-face our -face meeting or can we maybe, I don't know, rotate? So have alternating uh, live and uh, sorry face-to-face -face and uh, digital meetings or, or, or what, what do you think well i think i think that that looking a few years down the line we'll probably get some sort of stable model that that becomes the norm but at the moment we literally have no idea at what stage um different levels of meetings are going to be allowed by size by is it a you know a city meeting a country meeting a regional meeting or a global meeting when are those going to be unlocked in terms of uh, travel restrictions uh, we don't know what are going to be the the physical constraints within a building mm -hmm. in a particular country um, so once you and, and we also don't know that if we go back to a form of normality over the next six months, whether another wave comes through and forces us to move back. So the starting point for me is that any sensible meeting planner looking at their physical meetings going forward is going to have to have a virtual alternative model sitting in their back pocket. And the best way to do that is to integrate virtual elements into the physical meeting planning so that it becomes both uh, an enhancement of the actual event, but can stand alone and be strong enough on its own to substitute if that meeting can't take place. Or if, for example, you can no longer bring a thousand people to it, you're only allowed to bring in a hundred people. Yeah. So, so the, you know, any tools that can enhance flexibility uh, and, you know, any scenario planning has got to be hugely flexible and, and able to, to jump from, one solution to another yeah and this is going to be the reality for the next two or three years i think right right so this um hub and spoke model that people talk about where where you have a, a meeting in a regional base with an international satellite system almost mm -hmm. where uh, i i see a great deal of potential in that actually and, and not just in this sort of short to medium term future but when you look long term in terms of the climate change crisis which isn't going away that seems that would seem to me to be a, a, a pretty neat solution to um to getting convention centers and venues full but mm -hmm. but not necessarily necessarily having the same uh you know the, the same number of people crisscrossing over the world yeah. um and, and, and actually I, th I think it's uh 
a real opportunity for those destinations which have got uh, deep and meaningful relations with their intellectual community mm -hmm. and their local business community. Uh, the chances for uh, DMOs, convention bureaus, or con congress centers to work with their, their local intellectual leaders to create new events and for those local partners to use their networks to encourage satellites to be set up but with you know your city as the the primary hub mm -hmm. it is a is a real way that I, I can see a lot of the smarter cities deciding to go down that sort of route yeah. rather than spending their money to try and attract a meeting with lots of of traveling delegates mainly because you you, you literally will not know uh, until very close in how many people you're going to be able to get. So all your forward planning and all your ability to manage room blocks, to uh, write the right sort of insurance policies is going to be hugely problematic. Mm. That plays into a question I wanted to ask you about the, um, the growing uh, stature, if you like, of, of cities, um, which might sound a funny thing to say, but before this uh, pandemic, um, in recent years, there has been a sort of growing awareness of the role of cities as um, boosters of the economy, you know, the role that they play in, in economic development. And, you know, we've seen lots of governments devolving power to cities with, the, you know, the heightened status of city mayors, etc. How, how do you see the fallout of coronavirus, coronavirus affecting, affecting that trend? Well, it, it's, it's a tricky one to get your head around. And one of the reasons for that is that it's, it's so difficult at the moment to work out um, what is happening with taxation bases. Mm. And that's really critical for um, where the, the, the kind of weight of economic development is, is driven from. Um, if cities, uh, you know, like in the UK, cities do not have a lot of power to raise uh, their own revenue. They're, they're reliant on a formula from, from central government. Whereas in other countries, there's a lot of uh, revenue raising um, power at the city level. Yeah. So, um, you know, in, in these circumstances, uh, how much money have people got to actually be able to allocate to um, business events, for example, as part of their strategy, when they might be uh, trying to rebuild virtually decimated healthcare systems. Sure. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not at all easy. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I, I love what uh, UFI has just done, for example, mm -hmm. um, putting out their policy document arguing that ex exhibitions and trade shows are drivers of, of the economy. Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, we've got many good examples of, of cities which have made the, the case for politicians that the city-level business events, meetings, congresses uh, are similarly important for, for building competitiveness and driving, driving the economic development. Mm -hmm. But where do we fit in on the existential scale of priorities? Sure. That the, the, these politicians are going to be paying attention to. Yeah, I mean, so we've, we've already heard of. Sorry, tough one. Yeah, and we've already heard of you know DMOs laying off staff. That's destination uh, marketing organisations laying off staff all around the world. And they, you know these redundancies were made quite quickly, which mm -hmm. suggests to me that in the whole hierarchy of um, priorities, that, that business events are still 
still quite low down the list. Yes. But, but, but also to add to that, I think that, you know, but you, you very rarely see business events or meetings listed as a discrete industry or sector. You, you have to assume that it's lumped in there somewhere with hospitality or maybe tourism. Um, and for people who work in the industry, that must be enormously frustrating. But I, I still scratch my head and wonder wonder why. why. Why is there this sort of knowledge gap between the meetings industry and and politicians when the industry has so many associations um apparently lobbying on its, on its behalf are they is that the problem are they not essentially advocacy associations many of them in the meetings industry yeah i'm 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 it, it there there's a different answer depending on where you are in the, in the world i mean if you're in the states for example uh, the reason this this hasn't really climbed up the agenda is that the the DMOs are are funded by bed tax. Yeah. So that then colours the way in which the uh, the strategic um, nature of business events tends tends to get lost. Um, but like there are tourism in that case, like, yeah. like Copenhagen, like Sydney, where the the DMOs have have effectively become part of the economic development mm. hierarchy. And because they have, you know, they're very strongly embedded within that, that broader argument, they're able to get the ear of their local politicians and even national politicians. So there are some really good examples, but there are others where it is, you know, it is still seen as a segment of hospitality or tourism. Mm. Uh, and any of us who've worked in the business know that that is... Um, is, is simply the tip of the iceberg. It, it entirely ignores the value that these um, these events drive. Mm. But what what we're faced with at the moment is that um, the the things that business events were driving have not gone away, and people are trying to find solutions that may not be as effective, but are still regarded as solutions. And that's part of the risk that it, it you know. We, I believe very strongly that business events are, the, are one of the most efficient ways yeah. of, of achieving these goals. Um, but if we've had all the, this time um, when they're not taking place and mm -hmm. the world is still out there and you know, people are still driving economic development, then you know, how, how do we get back onto the agenda? Yeah. I mean, they're efficient from a logistical point of view, aren't they? If, if I go to a conference or a trade show, I can take one flight to Europe, meet a hundred people, and come back again. I mean, that strikes me from a, even a sustainability point of view as a good thing, rather than me jetting off all around the world to see various, various different people. But do you think, Martin? And this is something that I've been sort of thinking about for quite a while now. Is the meetings industry is it too broadly defined? Um, I'm thinking about acronym MICE, which I've never liked, um, but obviously it includes, I don't know, meetings, incentives, corporates, uh, exhibitions. It seems to be a, a very unwieldy acronym that doesn't really mean a great deal. Um, is, it, is it time to sort of uh, huck, you know, hive off certain sections of what we think of as the meetings industry and, and be a bit more focused? What, for example, does an association meeting have to do with uh, an, an incentive trip for a sales yeah. a sales rep. I mean if, if, if I could answer that one uh, A we'd need a hell of a lot longer on the podcast and <laughs> BEI would have uh, I'd, I'd need to you know go back to arguments I was having 
25 years ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the same issue has cropped up for literally decades. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are certain times when it's very important for the whole of what I, 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 I hate the word mice as well. I prefer business events mm -hmm. because everything still fits under that. Um, th there's a time when all of them should be lumped together because it does make sense at one point. But in other circumstances, it makes sense for the intellectual and scientific ones to be making an argument in one area mm -hmm. and for the business or trade organizations to be doing the same work in another area. So, it, you know, advocacy is not um, one simple um, set of targets. Mm -hmm. I think you know, our, our industry has to take advantage of whatever the platforms are where we can get a voice. I don't think we have enough resources to be able to carve out such a separate um, position that we can go and effectively market. So we're always either working with the broader economic development crowd or we're working with the hospitality and tourism crowd. Um, it, you know, it, it depends on who we're trying to influence at what stage and for, for what purpose. Yeah. Uh, but you're right, it is, it is we, we do suffer from the fact we are so um, uh, varied and massive. We are everything from uh, multinational, huge multinational organizations down to one-person organizations, and we cover everything from uh, media to tech to buildings, which also happen to have concerts taking place in them. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's... It, it's, it's it's really, really difficult because the, mo the more you specialize, um, the less weight and the less supporters you have behind you. But, but at the same time, the more sort of diffuse the, the industry, the, the harder, I guess, it is for politicians to, to wrap their head around in that sense because, you know, yeah. it, it's almost like what is it's, it's, you know, it becomes, it becomes yeah. almost um, nebulous is the wrong word, but you know what I mean? It becomes yeah. sort of. Well, I, I, I suppose I, I have one prediction or rather one hope for the future, and that is that we become much better at measuring and communicating the impacts of our events. Yeah. Uh, by that, I don't mean the, the direct economic spend valuable, yeah. though that is, but actually finding metrics that are able to look at problems solved, uh, healthcare um, solutions found, mm. you know, lives saved, whatever it may be. Um, I, I think we need to actually get much better at measuring those and then communicating those. That's tricky, it, that's tricky, isn't it? It's very tricky. I mean, no, that's, the, that's why nobody's managed it so far. But the, before COVID-19 hit, there were a lot of um, initiatives starting to move in this way. Yeah. I think, for example, of uh, Meet for Impact yeah. that uh, was uh, set up by uh, Genevieve uh, Leclerc, mm -hmm. um, which specifically is working with um, the industry and also with academic institutions to come up with some some good solid standard um, methodologies for, for measuring some of these. Mm. Uh, and we've got Best Cities and uh, ICA's initiative uh, on incredible impacts, which is yeah. more built yeah. on the storytelling of those same, uh, those same impacts. So I think, I think there, was a, there were some good initiatives uh, starting off. And I think that as we rebuild, if we don't focus on what the enormous value is and what the enormous impacts are, then we won't get the support that, that is going to be necessary. Yeah. I guess one of the, one of the tricks of, of, of getting a, a sense of the impact of business events is 
you're going to have to get associations to go to their delegates, aren't you, and say, you know, you have to report back to us um, what benefit this meeting was to you. And a lot of those benefits will be, will have a, a very long life cycle. So, you know, a, a, a research collaboration or whatever, the fruits of that might not be uh, visible for five, five, ten years. Um, True. But, but, I, but I, I know, I mean, there are a number of examples. I'm, I'm thinking, for example, the European Society of Cardiology. Yeah. Uh, they spend a six-figure sum every Congress to measure the sort of clinical outcomes and the, the changes to practice that are driven by what happens at the meeting. They so, do that with so, Vienna, don't they? Is that with Vienna? Yeah, uh, they've done that. And then also the International uh, Aid Society yeah. uh, have done some tremendous mass storytelling uh, where they, they collate positive stories of what individual delegates did that improved matters on the ground as a result of going to the meeting. Mm -hmm. so, so there are ways of doing it that are both, um, I, I, they're, they're, you know, deep research is one thing, longitudinal research, mm -hmm. and also the, the storytelling and mass storytelling that, that pulls information from delegates. It sounds to me that we need to pull the universities in here, that they, they will have, the, they will have the, that sort of research capability to, to yeah. maybe track some of this stuff. I, th I think, I think, yeah, there the, the will be a need for that. But, yeah, I, I'm optimistic that there is going to be a lot more of this information out there. Mm -hmm. I think the smart, uh, the smart associations are going to really embrace this whole area because they're going to realise that unless their meeting is going to be for a, a very good potential outcome if, you know, if they're not trying to actually solve problems or achieve mm. concrete outcomes there is no point in having that meeting now do you think uh, meetings therefore will become more more uh, task orientated more individual sort of challenge orientated well i think uh, what we what we'll find on on the virtual meeting is that the nature of virtual meetings is that they they operate much better when people have a common task yeah to operate with so that there is going to be a a growth in practice of holding meetings for a purpose. Mm -hmm. um, but the, one of the great values, with the unique value of, of a physical meeting is the serendipitous discovery sure. or the, the interesting link between the formal sessions. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, that virtual meetings really struggle hard at is breaking out of those project silos in a yeah. meaningful way. I mean, yeah. you can have icebreakers and fun stuff and you know music playing in the background and people dancing together but yeah. but to actually get a a reporting system between silos across meetings between different uh, breakout groups that's the really tricky thing when you're on a virtual level because you you don't know in advance in a physical meeting where the interesting stuff is really going to be generated no you know no. The, the formal sessions in many cases could be replicated through a um, a video presentation yeah but it, the other stuff that you really cannot replicate and um on the one hand that gives me great confidence that that it's going to keep uh, meetings really relevant and really necessary mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand and here's the real here's one of the real conundrums i also predict that we're going to see a whole new generation of really powerful tech tools that right. it kind of come out of this right. what, what we see at the moment with the zooms and the other half dozen um virtual platforms is going to be in a few years regarded as absolutely primitive 
mm-hmm. compared to what there will be. And once you get to that stage where organizations have really integrated their project management, their, their intellectual libraries and everything else with their virtual meetings, then you've potentially got this, this you know, and also very cool new networking devices for linking people who may have something that might be of interest to somebody else. Yeah. Once those things start to get produced, invented, polished, then I think we've got some, some real challenges. And what it means, I think, is that the live events industry needs to also be embracing the tech guys who are inventing this stuff as quickly as we can so that we can also improve the way that our informal serendipitous stuff works. Yeah, I think it has to be... <laughs> It has to be a case of the live events industry finding some kind of synergy with technology. I don't think the idea, you know, you can't just resist it. It's going to happen. Um, and I'm, I'm quite optimistic and excited about it in many ways. My only, my only sort of uh, caveat to that is that I don't want to see a world, and I'm sure you don't, or anybody involved in our industry would want to see a world where everything is mediated through a screen or technology. Um, that you have to have those moments where it's just a sort of you grab a coffee with somebody or you you know you get talking to somebody in the bar and from those entirely informal discussions something blossoms and flowers and I can't see that with the best way in the world I can't see how technology replaces those serendipitous moments as you call them it, it cannot replace it absolutely it's 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 live meet it's the USP of live mm-hmm. meetings essentially. I mean, that, that ability to transfer tacit knowledge, to um, have a moment of magic when two unrelated things connect and discover that they do actually have something in common. Mm. Those are absolutely unique. But, but that magic comes up against the cost-benefit analysis that a huge number of people are going yeah. to be making for oh. a long period of time. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm a huge advocate and you know, cheerleader for live meetings, but I can see these, these dangers that if we can't make our meetings even better really fast, mm. that the stuff that's coming down the line on the tech side is going to make people feel that they can get away without going. Yeah. Uh, and often the, the delegates are not themselves the people who decide whether they go or not. No, so the if, if, if a company believes that they can get 90 or 80 or 90% of the value from mm. not sending their person to a physical meeting, mm. um, many companies will decide that they ain't going to do it. So that's a so tricky, tricky, really tricky game because on the one hand, we need, to, um, we need to make the case for return on investment in terms of going to a, a face-to-face event. But once you go down that line, you sort of get trapped in your own logic a bit because if, mm. you know, an accountant says, well, I just want to know that they're learning X, Y, and Z. Hmm. So we need, to, we need to somehow get the message across that, yes, they will learn something here, but also you have to, you have to embrace that unquantifiable thing about face-to-face meetings that, you know, sometimes it just is those moments. And we need to, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky PR thing, this, isn't it? How we get that message across. Well, I've seen um, you know, cities like, Sid- like Sydney have been very good at pulling out examples like that, where they've actually had professors talking about the brand new invention that came about as a result of 
you know, that coffee break. Yeah. So they, they've, they've found some of those. And I, I, I suspect that there are thousands out there. And I would love to see our industry uh, doing a, a, some kind of crowdsourced initiative to search mm. for them and to encourage everybody within our spheres of influence to, to search for those magic moments yeah. uh, and to, to feed them somewhere where we can all draw on them. Yeah. Uh, we know they happen. I mean, most of us have experienced it them, themselves in a bar or a coffee break. Um, the ch- often, though, we, we forget it. You know, we, yeah. we throw out the, uh, the challenge yeah. to their own members and their delegates to, to put those, those magic moments into one big pot where we can mm-hmm. all take advantage of it. Well, I shall, I shall endeavour to take up the challenge. Uh, Martin, it sounds as though you're generally optimistic about the future. It's incredibly difficult, you know, in yep. times like this to really, you know, we're, in, we're living through a moment, as people keep saying, and it's very difficult to, to really jump ahead of the moment you're stuck in. But um, I just want to thank you very much for, for coming on the first of a series of podcasts. And um, I hope to see you in person before before too long yeah. and um enjoy what's left of uh, are you still in lockdown in amsterdam well amsterdam is slowly starting to unlock yeah. um, but we are being stricter than the policy oh, right. um okay. I, i'm i'm more of a hammer and the dance uh, yeah. as the the strategy goes um i i'm i'm a huge fan of those countries which like New Zealand, like Korea, like Taiwan, uh, like Austria, like Czech Republic, that went in really hard early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they, can, they, they get things down to such a manageable level that they can try and treat it like a, a, a mini disaster checking operation. Yeah. I mean, even those countries are going to have a real challenge of what do they do with their borders? You know, yeah. when do they, who do they let in when? Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll have to be vigilant. But mm-hmm. once they've got the number of outbreaks and the number of cases really far down, then it's a different level of management, yeah. a different type of challenge. I, I'm not a huge fan of, of trying to simply keep it below the capacity of the health system, no. which seems to be the way that a number of countries have gone. And this is a huge challenge that our industry faces. Mm. We are going to, for the international meetings, we are going to be dependent on the policy of the least successful of our countries mm. in terms of getting people back together. Yeah. Uh, and at the moment, almost all the discussion has been about the national situation in each country. Mm. And I, I've been tapped, I'm married to an American, I live in Netherlands, I'm, you know, come, I'm born in the UK and I've got friends dotted in all kinds of other countries. So I'm looking at multiple countries from the perspective of what it feels like inside. And I've only come across a handful of examples where people have given serious consideration to the relations and the trips between those different countries yeah. and how that's going to work. Yeah. Uh, and our industry is really going to struggle until there are some, uh, some broad, sensible policies in place that are, that are, mm-hmm. that are going to allow people to travel without so much friction that it just frankly is not worth worth the trip well we're the first industry to be affected by this and i suspect we'll be the last to um to come out of it really uh but you know we have to remain positive and uh thank you very much for your thoughts as usual and um we'll meet again martin yeah we will meet again thank you